Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. I uh, can't help but make a few comments on the uh, things we've heard so far. Uh, I don't know if you thought about it, but uh, Eldon gave us perspective this morning. He gave us a scriptural perspective of the uh, subject of heaven. Um, and I'm going to say it was, based, you know, my general understanding of scripture, I'd say it was a, a pretty sound perspective. Um, the... Um, And now just stop and think about it. It took Eldon what? It took 15, 20, 25 minutes. And he gave us a perspective. Uh, And it's, uh, it's it's, it's a perspective to consider in light of the the claims of books that like were described here and may i may i say it's a perspective that the entire realm of professed christianity should consider in other words the things that come down the pipeline should be held up to the Word of God to see if they actually hold out to the Scripture. And that's what Eldon did. In 15 to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, he had shown us clearly from the Word of God that there is a problem with some of these materials. And uh, that's why I made the comment about how gullible we are. I I've never personally, you know, I hear of those kind of books and I don't, I never read them. Uh, and I never took the time to think through them. But isn't it sad, isn't it sad that the professed Christian realm is putting out not only those books, but a lot of other material that has not been tested by the Scripture. And multitudes and multitudes of people don't take the time to even consider whether it holds up to the Word of God. And it is, it is important that we are a people who are willing to do that. Who are willing to take the Word of God and the many, many things that come down the pipeline to hold them up to the Scriptures and say, do they hold out to what the Scripture teaches? In other words, to look at them from the perspective of the Word of God and to see whether it holds out. <clears throat> that, and, it's, <clears throat> and it's important in, uh, in the day that we live in that uh, we do that. It, it will not change. It will get worse. Uh, we have a uh, an apostate Christianity in our country. A Christianity that has fallen away from the Word of God. Fallen away from loving the Word of God. Fallen away from loving the truth of the Word of God. Fallen away from obeying the Word of God. And it's that apostate Christianity that is providing uh, bookstores and internet sites full of material for you to devour. And so it's incredibly important that we evaluate those many, many, many things from the perspective of the Word of God. So, wanted to encourage us in that. I, you know, and it only, like I said, it's amazing. It only took Eldon less than 30 minutes to lay that out before us. 
And here we have a whole nation of professed Christianity hasn't even taken the time to stop and think whether this holds up to the scripture or not. Professors in our colleges who are teaching our people and they won't even take the time to hold something up to the word of God and raise a voice and say there's a problem. It doesn't hold out to the scripture. Of course, we know that's that's the perspective of of uh, the modern Christian profession in this country. <clears throat> so, thank you, thank you, brothers, for giving us perspective. <clears throat> This morning, I trust I can give us a little perspective. Hope so. I'd like to talk about, well, let's turn to First John. I'll give you the title in just a bit. <clears throat> and by the way, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, following the pattern of our teachings on the confession of faith at all this morning. I'm taking on a, another message that I, uh, Desired to share, desired, uh, was inspired in my own heart as I prepared it and uh, desired to share it here this morning. Maybe we could take just a moment and pray. <clears throat> we bow our heads. Our God, our Father, thank you again. Thank you for your great love toward us. Thank you, Father, for your word that we have in our possession and in our hearts. Thank you, Father, that for the Holy Spirit that is our teacher. And today again we we acknowledge our need. We need your word. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us and to give us understanding. And we're we're trusting you for that today. Father, take us in our hearts and in our thoughts and in our minds, take us beyond that which we can humanly understand and take us into the eternal perspective of truth and of you and of Christ and of your word, Father. Grant us, Father, this morning inspiration from your spirit. Father, bless each one present. May you minister to each heart based on our needs, which you so well understand. Commit this time to you, Father. May I... Speak as the Spirit gives utterance. And Lord, help me not to speak my own words, but to speak your words, Lord. So thank you again for this assembly. And we just do trust that you will pour out a blessing. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> we introduce our subject this morning in First John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, reads as follows, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Those verses introduce the subject that I would like to speak on this morning. I'd like to share a message titled, God Loves You. God Loves You. This scripture talks about God's love that we just read, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, what, what exactly does that mean? That God loves us. That He loves you. 
But as the scripture says it here, he loves us. God loved us. God, uh, in this was the love of God manifested toward us. I'd like to, uh, you know, we use the term love a lot. It gets used a lot in our world. And, and obviously it means different things in different uh, situations. And in some cases it's totally misunderstood. But I'd like to... Uh, like to ponder just a little bit, and we're going to ponder God's love this morning toward us. Um, the The application could probably be made in love, you know, toward each other and all those kind of things. But our focus today is God's love to us. God loves you. What does that really mean? Uh, what really is love? What is it? How do we define it? How do we describe it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Does it have feeling? I trust we'll be encouraged this morning. We're going to take a little time and try to define just a bit what God's love might look like. Or try to put definition to it. <clears throat> so, we want to begin... Uh, Our first point we will find in Ephesians. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As we describe or try to define God's love to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 5, we have a a picture here that we would like to... uh, Consider. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace Ye are saved. <clears throat> I'm going to stop reading there. The the picture that uh, we have here in this uh, scripture is uh, one of uh, obviously as it starts out there we have the picture of where we've all come from, uh, a life of selfishness and sin, uh, walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And as this scripture says, children of wrath, even as others. In other words, we were the enemies of God. We were out of fellowship with God. We were, um, we were um, selfish, self-sufficient. We could handle life ourselves. We, we, you know, it's a picture of humanity. It's a picture of, uh, of, uh, uh, of who we are. You know, each one of us have has our own uh, story, in a sense, of, uh, you know, where we've been, where we've come from, what, uh, what God, uh, where God found us, the uh, mess that we made before we gave our lives to God. <clears throat> each one of us have our own story. Living in... Uh, Unbelief and pride and lust and bitterness and all those kind of things. But the scripture says here that God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, that even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And the, the, that that uh, the picture is very clear there that even when we were dead in sins, even when we were very unlovely, very ugly in fact in our own lives, even while that was the case, 
God loved us. To define that a little bit, I'd like to say, and this is our first point, love values the one loved. God valued you and me. He valued us even when we were still in our sin. He looked upon us and He saw something of worth. Even though we were, maybe we were blasphemous. Maybe we were uh, determined not to surrender our lives to God. Maybe we were determined we were going to enjoy a life of sin and we were going to order our own lives. Maybe we just simply were very religious and and uh, uh, and felt like, uh, you know, we were a, a good person and we, we didn't need God, you know. Self-righteous. Whatever the case, we were separated from God. We were out of fellowship with God. We were, we were uh, 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 you know, sin is ugly and so is self-righteousness. Whether we're one side of the coin or the other, neither of them is very uh, uh, nice to God, very good looking to God. But love values, sees value in the one loved. And God saw value in you. He saw value in you. Even before you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Even before you uh, were at peace with God. God saw value in you. And that's, that's a definition of God's love. God saw us in our situation and he saw value in us. He placed, you know, we were uh, as ugly as we were. He, he could see past all that ugliness and he could see something that he was interested in. Something that was of interest to him. Something that he could work with. Something that he saw potential in. He looked and he saw potential in you. He saw value in you. And he loved you. God loves you. God placed worth upon you even before you saw value in Him. He saw value in you even before you saw value in Him. So love values the one loved. And God loves you. God saw value in you. The second point we'd like to consider is that, uh, and we'll uh, we'll go back to First John. But uh, the second point is simply that love is helpful. I've uh, kept my terms fairly simple. Love is helpful. First John four. Again, those verses that we just read earlier in opening, we just reflect on them again in verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Let's stop there for a moment. You know, earlier in Ephesians there, it said that we were dead in sin. And that, you know... uh, That is, that is a picture of the human race. You know, outside of God, outside of uh, a new life in Christ, that is the picture of the human race. Dead in sin. Uh, irregardless of what our upbringing was, irregardless of how good our home was, until we ha- uh, are made alive in Christ, we are dead in sin. And so that's the picture that we have. And here... Uh, God is helpful. It says here that uh, uh, God's love is manifested toward us in that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In other words, we were dead and God knew we were dead and He knew that we need to be, we need to be made alive. And He knew that He could help us with that. And so He sent His Son into the world that we could, who were dead, could live. And that's helpful, isn't it? Aren't you glad that he did that for us? You know, we'd all be dead if, we, if 
God hadn't made that, uh, been helpful to us and made that uh, provision for us. He, uh, he, had the, he has the solution to the problem. And so he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And that helped us out, didn't it? Love is helpful. It goes on here in uh, verse 10. Herein is love, not that God, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, it, again, reflecting back to Ephesians, we were dead in sins. You know, God, uh, God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We had a problem. We had sin in our lives. We were sinners. We needed an answer. We needed a solution. And God was helpful and sent us His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God helped us out. He made an atonement. He, uh, he solved our problem. Let's also turn to Titus. Love is helpful. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Again, we have this kind of the picture of who we were and then what God did about it. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and in envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us and wa- He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <clears throat> you know, again, we have the, the picture there of how we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived, etc. But, there's the but there. But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. And, and you know, all of these scriptures that we look at where we have this kind of a, uh, a discourse, it always has the, it has the but there and it talks about the love of God. You know, God loved you. God loves you. And uh, God is helpful. He sees the problem. He saw the problem. He saw the need. And uh, as, he, as he, this scripture gives it, that uh, he, uh, by His mercy He saved us and we have salvation uh, described in these verses. What, I, what actually is it? What does it mean when He saved us? Uh, in, the, in this verse, he says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, salvation is described as a washing, as a renewing. And it's, it's, it's available, th- again, through Jesus Christ. That, that uh, uh, again, love is helpful. We needed a washing, didn't we? We needed a regeneration. We needed a renewing. God knew what we needed, right? Uh, God knew that He could provide it. And so, uh, God's love is, is defined, is given, uh, it, it's, uh, there's meat put on the bones by what God did. He provided for us what we needed. He was, he was, his, he was helpful to us. And He uh, made it possible for us to have a washing of regeneration. He made it possible for us to have a renewing of the Holy Ghost within us. He made those things possible. You know, imagine, you know, we kind of take it for granted, don't we? But imagine what it'd be like if all of that wouldn't be available to us. Imagine what the human race would be like if all of that wouldn't be available. Imagine what the world would be like if all of that wouldn't be available. If the influence of the Gospel and how it has affected people's lives over the generations and over the years and how different it would be if that hadn't been there. <clears throat> and how different our lives would be if that hadn't been there. So God is helpful. <clears throat> Love is helpful. 
He's helped us out in our situation and provided what we needed. And very well provided. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word commendeth there could be said He demonstrated His love. He manifested His love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was helpful in helping us out in our situation. Love is helpful. Love sees value in the one loved and love is helpful in uh, solving the problem. I'm thankful that God's love was helpful to us. I'd like to talk a little bit about the fact that love is committed. You know, when we think about God and His Son Jesus, they were committed to to the cause, weren't they? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. When we think about love is committed, I don't know if the word committed gives me exactly the definition that I want, but it it's at least getting close. What do we mean when we say it's committed? When we think about God and His love to us, I would define it this way, and, I, and we're thinking about God. We, you know, it's a little hard to separate God and Christ. So when I when I say some of these things, I'm thinking of them both. But uh, I'm, and I'm going to say it this way: They, God and Christ, were faithful to the purpose until they had delivered the help that we needed. They were faithful to the purpose until they had delivered the help we needed, and. As we uh, as we look at this a bit, uh, it'll uh, we'll understand it. <clears throat> In Matthew twenty six, verse fifty to verse fifty four, we have the uh, the situation where Jesus had just come through the garden and the soldiers. Uh, uh, through his time of agony in the garden, which we'll go back to that then. And the soldiers had uh, now come to uh, capture him. And we have the account here where uh, uh, one of them that were with Jesus in verse 51 stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And then then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all that, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he will presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? You know, it seems pretty evident by this scripture that Jesus could actually have, uh, even at that point, He could have called on heaven and they could have rescued him out of the situation. But, he wouldn't have delivered what we needed. He wouldn't have delivered the help that we needed. And he knew that. Now, isn't that, you know, think about it. If we have a choice, if we are in a tough situation, incredibly tough situation, and we have a choice to evade that tough situation or to go through it. We all know that the easiest decision would be to take the escape route. And it's pretty evident by this scripture that he would have had an escape route that he could have taken. But he wouldn't have delivered what we needed. Wouldn't have, uh, and obviously it would have been a breakdown of all the prophecy of scripture, but Think about it. He did say that he could have called on twelve legions of angels. But but he was committed. He was committed to the purpose. And if we go back just uh, um, probably be a good time to just go back a page and discover where he settled that commitment in uh, verse about 38 of this scripture. 
Verse 36, Then Jesus cometh with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be very be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing. Indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for his eyes were heavy, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he cometh to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest, and uh, so forth. But uh, what we see here, obviously, is that Jesus... You know, he's, he's looking into the cup. He's looking into what is before him. And, uh, there is a, there is a, there is a bit of wrestle in his spirit here as he wonders if there, maybe he's wondering, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way to accomplish what needs to be accomplished? Father, do I, does, is this drinking this cup, is it the only way that we can Fulfill what needs to be fulfilled. But he never flinched from the fact of not my will, but thy will be done. Um, But he was looking into the cup. He was looking at what was ahead of him. And he wrestled through and found peace, found his rest and his assurance in the Father, as it indicates here. And then, only a few verses later, we come to where he says that he could call twelve legions of angels. But how would the scriptures be fulfilled? How would the, how would we accomplish what needs to be accomplished? And he was committed, and he was uh, it was settled, <clears throat> and he was prepared to go through. If we go on to Matthew twenty-seven. In Matthew 27, verse 27 is kind of where the uh, the soldiers are are taking over. In uh, the end of verse 26, and when they uh, is when they uh, they asked for Barabbas to be released, and then they released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And that's where the soldiers took over. And of course we. We know the account, you know, the, the severe suffering that Jesus went through in, on all levels. You know, he, he was humiliated, he was mocked, he was beaten physically, bruised, butchered, you know, he was just, on all levels, he was, he was, uh, severely abused. <clears throat> And I suppose that was part of what he was looking at as he looked into the cup there in the garden as he wrestled with what he was going to go through. Uh, That account on down through gives the story of what they did and how they parted his garments and and, uh, they crucified him, hung him on a cross, crucified the other two with him, the two uh, thieves. Verse 44, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Another scripture would tell us that one of them actually did uh, repent and <clears throat> and uh, was uh, saved in the ninth hour or in the twelfth hour of his life, in the end of his life. But then we have in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, which in their clock it would have been noon, so in about an hour from now, all of a sudden it would get dark. The sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, 
That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if you uh, want to get a fuller picture of that uh, account or experience, read Psalm 22 sometime. Psalm 22 starts off with those very words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the whole psalm has a, quite a number of, of uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically a revelation of what took place here uh, at the crucifixion. <clears throat> you know, what was, uh, what was Jesus experiencing there on the cross in those three hours of darkness? You know, it's, it's fairly evident by what he says that um, he, pro- he experienced something that he, I believe, I can confidently say he never experienced before. And that is that the presence of God was withdrawn for a time. And I believe it's simply the fact that uh, when he looked into that cup, I believe the, uh, I would tend to think that the, uh, the physical suffering, the abuse, uh, all of that, that was, uh, that was severe, you know. I think we all know that. Any kind of physical suffering and abuse, it's always severe. But I'm wondering if it wasn't the, the presence of God being withdrawn for a time. I'm wondering if that wasn't a much, much more bitter cup to drink than the uh, fact of being beaten in the body. Imagine if you would have been Christ and you would have always, in all of your existence, all you ever knew was to be living in the presence of God. And when I say in the presence of God, when He was on earth, He was still living in the presence of God. In other words, His communication and His sense of God's presence with Him was there all the time. Probably, you know, you know what it's like to experience the presence of God. I trust most of you do uh, to some measure or another. And probably most of us have been in situations where we've felt and experienced and sensed an unusual strong presence of God in some place in our lives. I'm going to say that Jesus probably always lived even beyond our most unusual experience of the presence of God. His Interaction and his connection with God was was uh, strong. In those three hours of darkness, it would seem like, as he says there, why hast thou forsaken me? As he was hanging on the cross and all of our sin was upon him. He was a condemned sinner. Quote. As he hung there, our sin was upon him and the presence of God is withdrawn for a time. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine what that would have been like. I can't imagine the agony of that and what that would have been like. But it was a real, real experience for Christ in that uh, Scripture gives us little glimpses into it. Three hours of darkness as the creator of the universe bears the iniquity of humanity. The creator of the universe bears the iniquity of humanity. Three lonely hours as the presence of God is removed from earth and from His Son. In uh, this scripture here, it tells us that He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 47 gives a little bit of a discourse of a couple of men there. And in verse 50 it says, And Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And in uh, in the Gospel of John, it tells us that when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And that's at the end, basically at the end of those three hours of darkness. <clears throat> the, uh, and he said it is finished. He had completed. He had completed the purpose 
in which he was uh, set to accomplish. He had uh, he had atoned for the sins of humanity, and as he hung there and was you know and di- and suffered and died for our sins, he comes to the end of those three hours of darkness and he says it is finished, and he bowed his head and he died and it was done. His suffering was completed. He had completed the atonement that was necessary for your and my sins. Thank the Lord. He had completed it. He was committed. He followed it through to the very end. And then he says, it is finished. And it was done. Just as a side note, I I know sometimes people would say that he died and went to hell. And suffered in hell. Uh, I would say that based on Jesus' words, for one thing, it was finished. It was done. Uh, There was no more. uh, uh, He had completed his sufferings were finished. He had completed what was needed uh, for our uh, our uh, atonement. And that he actually, as the scripture says, he went to prison. You know that place that uh, those souls were that had died before that were uh, uh, righteous souls. And like someone said, and this is, you know, we, we have very limited ex- uh, glimpse into that. But he went and preached to some souls. And as someone said, and I think it was John D. Martin made reference to it already, that uh, uh, he would see it kind of this way, that Jesus, you know, there was those who, there were those righteous who before the time of Christ were actually looking forward in faith to the Messiah. We're on this side of, of Calvary looking back in faith in what took place back there. You know, a person on the other side of Calvary could look forward to the promise of God and be a, and live as live righteous and accepted God accepted their faith in a future Messiah as much as he accepts our faith in the Messiah who came and so those souls who died in faith went to a place scripture Greek term Hades is often used for it Uh, one place the scripture says it's Abraham's bosom Uh, what it is you know not totally certain but a place where souls who died in righteousness are until the resurrection. And uh, John D. made this comment that when, when it refers to him preaching to those in prison, Jesus went and presented himself to them as, I am the one you were looking to. I am the one who you had faith in that I would come. And just uh, that's, that's just somebody's uh, idea. Uh, and could well be. But uh, as far as him suffering in hell... Uh, I, I personally don't believe that. I believe that when he said it is finished, his sufferings were over. His sufferings were over. And uh, he had accomplished what needed to be accomplished for us. And of course, though he, well, he was he bore our sin, but when that was completed, death and hell couldn't contain him. The grave couldn't contain him. He couldn't but burst forth again. <clears throat> Anyhow, love is committed. Christ was committed. And uh, God and Christ demonstrated their love to us by being faithful until they had delivered the help that we needed. <clears throat> All right, we'll move on. Love is value, love values the one loved. Love is helpful. Love is committed. And the next point we like to consider for a bit is love is truthful. <clears throat> you know the uh, well. Let's go to let's go to First John. First John five. First John 5, verse 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. 
He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Uh, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him. Jesus, and that's actually John the Baptist that gave those words there in John 36 as he prophesied concerning Jesus and uh, how he would increase and John himself would decrease. In John 14:6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So love is truthful. In other words, God and Christ, we think of them together as we look at these points, but they are true. They 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 uh, they uh, share the truth with us, right? They have uh, love is truthful. Uh, they have shared with us, and we'll look at it several different points. But they've shared with us the truth. They've and the, the and the point we've looked at here is the truth about Jesus, the truth about, and we could also say uh, salvation, uh, the truth about. Uh, the fact that Jesus is the only mediator, the only advocate, the only uh, uh, means of salvation. God is truthful. In other words, in His love for us as human beings, He tells us the way it is. He t- he, he's truthful with us. Because He wants us to, to understand. He doesn't want us to be left in the dark. He's truthful. And so he, it's, he, he's truthful with us, the truth about Jesus. <clears throat> also, we'd like to consider just a bit the truth about us and where our help really is. In, uh, in Romans, Romans chapter 3, I just read a few verses here. Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, we notice that, uh, I definitely wanted to, wanted to uh, draw a little attention to the the, uh, the comment there that, uh, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, the Bible is uh, God's love or, or love is truthful concerning us, concerning our need, concerning uh, the fact that uh, there is no difference. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And of course, since that is the case, uh, our help is also described here when it says that, uh, uh, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. And I think I may have commented on this verse before already. This salvation, this righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ is offered unto all. It is only upon those that believe. It is offered unto all and it is upon all them that believe. And so the offer is a wide open. And it's received by anyone who will believe what God has to say about us, our need, the solution to our need. <clears throat> Goes on, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be, the, be a propitiation for, through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. <clears throat> and so the truth about us and where our help is, and it is in Jesus. Love is truthful. 
God is also truthful with us concerning whose servant we are. In Romans 6, chapter, Romans 6, just a few pages over if you're in Romans. My reference isn't holding out exactly to what I'm looking for. Uh, Romans 6. Verse 16, Romans 6, verse 16, and we're breaking in the context a little bit here, but it has uh, <clears throat> it has a lot, uh, uh, we'll read verse 16, maybe make a few comments. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, think about it just for a little bit. That's one verse of Scripture. Now, know ye not, you know, basically saying, don't you understand, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. It's kind of a, he's doing a little simple equation in our minds. Whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. You know, that verse would go a long, long way in cleaning up American Christianity, wouldn't it? If they would just take that one verse and believe it. That if I am, if I am, a, if I am living in sin, continually, you know, I'm living in sin, then I'm the servant of sin. If I am continually yielding myself to sin, then I am the servant of sin. You know, God is truthful about those things to us. You know, God doesn't, uh, God doesn't leave us guessing on these kind of issues because, uh, well, truth is truth. You know, how do you, how do you get around truth? You know, truth is truth. And, and the fact is that if you're a servant of sin, uh, then you're the servant of sin, to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants ye are. And uh, God wants us to know that. That if we are continually yielding ourselves to sin, then we are the servant of sin. If we are yielding ourselves unto obedience, we are the servants of righteousness. Simple, simple truth. But the truth is given us so that we are not confused. John in 1 John says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Um, Jesus in Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> And also in John 8, verse 32, verse 31 and 32, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, God, God didn't withhold anything from us in terms of uh, truth. God didn't withhold anything from us that uh, we needed to know in order to experience the, the, uh, the freedom that is intended for the believer in Jesus. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When Jesus went to Calvary, He made available to us a, 
a, a, a freedom, a power, a life experience and journey that was not available in any other method or form. And his goal and his desire is that we would experience everything that he intended for us, everything that he purchased for us, everything that he made available to us. And he surrounds us with truth and, and, and uh, statements and arguments of truth that are intended to guide us into that freedom, into a life of freedom, into a life of uh, victory, into a life of grace, into a life, into that new uh, regenerated life. That is the intent. Uh, the truth that is uh, shared with us is given us so that we might walk in its in its realities. Um, and God is, uh, love is truthful. God is truthful about uh, whose servant we are. If we are a servant, uh, if we yield ourselves to sin, we're the servant of sin. If we yield ourselves to righteousness, we're the servant of righteousness. And it's uh, simple and easy to understand. And so God is, uh, God is, gives us that not that we would be afraid of the truth, but that we would welcome the truth, that we would understand the truth, and that if the truth reveals a problem in us, then we could face the problem and experience the freedom that God wants for us, experience the result that God intended for us. So if the truth uh, uh, reveals something in us that is is, uh, ugly, well, praise God. That's what God wanted it. That's what God intended it. Truth is intended to show uh, who we are and, uh, and to help us get to where we want to be and need to be. <clears throat> so you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So love is truthful. God has uh, been truthful with us in uh, many subjects and there would be many more that uh, we could probably consider. But uh, I think we will keep moving. Uh, my next point was the truth about heaven. And I don't have to say much about that. Uh, we've already got that one covered this morning. But the fact is that, uh, you know, in the eternal perspective, that there, like Jesus said there in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. You know, heaven is our hope. We have the hope of heaven. If we are walking with Jesus, if we have... Uh, made the Lord Jesus Lord of our lives and we are walking in obedience to Him and, and uh, surrendered to Him. We have the hope of heaven. And uh, God has communicated that truth to us. He says that we're not to let our heart be troubled. We're not to allow our hearts to be in unrest and, and, uh, and uh, un, uh, yeah, in, uh, in unsettledness because we do have the hope of heaven. He go, he's going, uh, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The truth about heaven. God does want us to know the truth about heaven, uh, as much as he has revealed to this point. The fact that there is such a place, the fact that the, those who... Uh, 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 live, love and live and love the Lord. Live for and love the Lord. Uh, have the promise of heaven, and that He will come again, and He'll take us there. So, in conclusion, God loves you. God values you. God has helped you. God was committed. Is committed to his side of the covenant. When we think of the covenant, we think of the new covenant that God has made with us. And God is truthful with you. And God does all of those things because he loves you. Shall we just uh, bow our heads a moment? Father, we are grateful today. As we reflect upon your love for us, as we reflect upon your, how you have expressed and revealed that love 
by your very actions, by the things that you did in order to secure a salvation for a lost people. Father, we are grateful. Today we ask a blessing on each one present again and ask, Father, that the Spirit of God would minister hope, encouragement, and faith in our hearts here today. Lord, we do desire to be a prepared people for a prepared place. And we desire to be a bride prepared unto her husband. And Lord, grant us each that. By your Spirit, through your Word, continue to coach us in the right way, Lord. That is our prayer. In the narrow way. In the way of truth. In the way of holiness. In the way of obedience to our Lord Jesus. Father, we just commit our lives to you again this day. And each one of us here, may we have grace and strength to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus, whom we love. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.